What's up, Gumbo listeners? Demetrius Malbro here with another Data Protection Gumbo episode. And this episode is titled DevOps Troubleshoot Less and Fix Issues Faster. And to drop some knowledge for us today, I have Nitsen Shapira, co-founder and CEO of Epsagon on the Gumbo. And Nitsen is also a software engineer with 15 years of experience in software development, management, and cybersecurity from the Israeli Intelligence Unit. And so Gumbo listeners, Nitsen will be talking about why microservices and containers are hot, how to analyze trends or spikes automatically in your environment, and also some other cool ways to troubleshoot and dig through your logs faster with less effort. So yes, we are talking all about the unsexy stuff in your environment, the things that engineers do not want to do. So sit back, relax, or pour up your favorite beverage while we get right into this episode. Nitsen, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Great. Let's go ahead and jump right into the questions. Can you start off by telling us why you started Epsagon and what was the gap in the market that you were trying to fill at the time? Yeah. So uh, when we started the company about three years ago, it was after uh, about 15 years of experience in software engineering and engineering management, um, as well as, as about seven or eight years in the Israeli intelligence cybersecurity unit. So we worked a lot on different and complex technology projects in embedded systems, reverse engineering, and uh, cloud technologies. So we had a very good sense of you know how difficult it is to understand what's going on in production, troubleshoot very complex errors, and so on. And when we started the company, we wanted to, to solve a big pain with a big technology challenge in a very large market. And that's how we went into cloud infrastructure. And after speaking with dozens of companies from small startups to large enterprises, it was clear that companies today are moving into technologies of Kubernetes, microservices, containers, serverless, all those things to build modern apps. And it's very difficult for them to understand what's going on in production, especially, which is um, a very big problem if you can do right. So that's why we chose to go after this problem is to solve it in a way that we believe is the right way. Okay, great. Do you do you mind? Uh, let, let's step step back a little bit for a moment. And uh, you mentioned, you know, microservices and containers, but, you know, can, can you maybe explain a little bit to the gumbo listeners why microservices or containers are kind of a thing or why, why it's so hot right now? maybe some of the skills that are required to to learn or manage some of these technologies. Yeah, so microservices is essentially a, a way to design and develop software. So instead of having basically one big piece of code on a server, you have smaller microservices that each of them is in charge of a more specific task in the application. So using this pattern, it's easier to develop across different teams, it's easier to manage scale and cost because you can choose different resources for every service. You can easily basically deploy updates and fixes into service individually. Uh, It's just a more logical, better logical way to do it, to do, you know, complex software systems. The challenges is from the design, you know, to design such a system, it's not that easy. Uh, Technology, you have so many 
options to choose from. Today in the cloud, you can choose, you know, many programming languages, but also APIs for almost everything you need. You have different ways to send information between the services. You have stuff like serverless that you don't even have access to a host. So just, you know, making all those choices is challenging. And, and we are focusing on the challenges of what happens when you develop the code and you deploy it into production once it's running. So every time there is a problem, you usually want to be alerted about it. So that's called you know, monitoring. You want to make sure you know about the system health and uh, the customer experience. And then you have the troubleshooting aspect. So how do you solve the problem as quickly as possible? Because you know every minute of downtime can be very expensive as well as the impact on developer velocity. So these problems are extremely magnified when you have, instead of one service, you have five, 10, 50, or even 5,000 services as some of our customers and as actually we do internally at Epsicon. So when you have so many services, when something bad happens, it's usually almost impossible to figure out what went wrong without the right tools. So it can really take hours or even more where typically you would want to do it in a matter of a few minutes. And your platform analyzes trends and, and spikes uh, for more accurate troubleshooting across both serverless and container environments, right? But what type of data about like these different applications is your platform collecting and how is it done? So in terms of how is it done, so Epsilon is basically working in two ways. One of them is connecting to the system using kind of a standard connection. So for example, if you have an AWS, account, we will connect using a CloudWatch or, um, you know, a simple CloudFormation template that is deployed with the right permissions. If you have Kubernetes, we will connect to the cluster and then we will provide basically the basic metrics and, and alerting. And that's something we actually provide for free. So that that's in that case, we mostly collect metrics um, that are already there, but they are not really organized and not accessible to the user. Uh, the second, which is usually the more interesting aspect, is the tracing capabilities. So Epsagon, instead of using an agent installed on a host, we have something called an agent SDK, which is essentially a code library. It can be injected into the customer's environment very easily. It takes just a few minutes. And this code library goes inside, and it will automatically instrument the customer's code. So we basically understand what events need to be extracted as the code is running. And these libraries, by the way, are open sourced on the GitHub repository of Epsagon. And, and then Epsagon kind of intelligently understands what information is interesting. So for example, if you have a few services and uh, one of them got an HTTP request, we will want to understand what the request was. And then they will send a message to another service using a Kafka message queue. So we want to understand what was the message how it connects between the services and how we can actually connect all those various interactions into a distributed transactions. And, and one of the interesting things Epsagon collects is actually the payloads and the data that is more like both performance data, but also business relevant data about the application, uh, such as HTTP body or a JSON message or anything at all. And of course, also you can add custom fields of anything you want. And all this data will be in Epsagon and very easy to explore or to be alerted on. So you can just, for example, see very easily how many users are going through your website, what's their experience like, where are they from, uh, who, which of them had some issues, latency, errors, all of those things can be 
achieve the next goal in a matter of a few minutes. So it, it seems like your platform is taking the unsexy work of troubleshooting and digging through the logs and combing through the metrics and providing some type of traceability function and just delivering it at your fingertips. So is, is this a correct assumption of, of what what your platform is doing? Yeah, that's pretty accurate. I mean, like you said, the the work of like unsexy work of troubleshooting through logs and dashboards and whatever is in place today, or even build it yourself, which is extremely difficult. So instead of making it, like you said, in your fingertips, so in a few minutes, you have all the data in front of you, accessible, correlated, integrated, and ready for you to explore. Yeah, that that's very important nowadays because, um, you know, with automation, you know, er everything is happening, you know, a lot quicker. Now, you know, we have cell phones in our hands and we can, we, we're carrying more computing power than we did you know, over the last 10 or 15 years, just in our hands and our pockets. But uh, I was reading something, uh, Nitsen, about uh, something called observability. I was really, really curious about it. And, and I want to know, you know, why has that become a, a term or a thing in the market now? Uh, and I know it's connected to cloud native, but can, can you maybe kind of dig into that a little bit and explain to the listeners what, what observability is all about and why it's important? Uh, yeah, observability is kind of like the new trend when it comes to how to understand your system. So there was typically a phrase called monitoring, which means, you know, you want to understand if something is working or not and to be alerted about it. Now, as the complexity of applications uh, increased, basically, you don't necessarily know what you need to monitor because so many things can go wrong. So that's what observability means. So if you have observability, you can easily understand what went wrong, even if you don't necessarily know in advance what you want to monitor. So observability is kind of like saying that you have a very good grasp of what's going on in your system. Now, in practice, usually it means three things. One of them is the metrics, the other one is logs, and the third one is the traces. So it's called the three pillars of observability. Um, and people are still thinking about them as kind of like three separate things. So what Epsagon tries to you know, educate people about is that these should not be three th separate things. You actually need them all integrated in a single platform. So that, that's what we do, essentially. When people talk about, about observability, it's, you know, like I said, just having a very good understanding of what's going on. Oh, okay, great. Yeah, and a as you were explaining observability, I was just sitting here and thinking, okay, because you, you mentioned, you know, tracing and logging and troubleshooting, and it doesn't seem like that's something the, the CIO would, would really be too concerned about unless the team is saying, hey, you know, we need something like that so we can do our jobs, you know, more quicker, more efficiently, et cetera. So wh who are you talking to out there? Is this more uh, related to developer developers or is this also something that you can convince a CIO that, that their team may need? So what you said is pretty accurate. Uh, I wouldn't th say that the CIO doesn't know or care about it, but it's definitely the priority is more of someone like the VP or the director of engineering rather than CIO. Uh, but as you probably know, the first of all, kind of like the silos between operations and developers are quickly becoming kind of like non-existing. And at the same time, the developers are getting more and more responsibility over what's going on in the organization, including, for example, security. That was not their concern. But today you have so many companies that some of them are extremely successful that are 
you know, providing security to DevOps and developers teams. So, what, like you said, I mean, the first person to care about it is the actual developer or the team leader that is experiencing the problem. Uh, so they are wasting a lot of their time troubleshooting problems and the downtime is sometimes even their KPI. So they actually care about downtime. It's not necessarily some other team. And then the manager, like the VP of engineering, obviously cares about those two things and about the developer velocity of his organization. So the ability to ship features to production uh, is greatly impacted when developers have to spend, let's say, 30% of their time dealing with those kind of problems. Uh, and lastly, you know, yeah, the CIO does care because they are in charge of the, the full IT budget and all those things. But I would say that engineering is probably the more relevant department that we typically sell to. Yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense now. I forgot all about the engineering department. They are, I guess, one of the most important departments as, w as well alongside sales. Uh, because if they're the ones to build it, so they are very important and they're they're pretty high on the food chain. Just kind of um, like on the coding front, like do, do you have any programming skills like with Node.js or Python or Go or Java or do, do you just handle the, the business stuff or, or the customer side of the house now? So I'm a I'm programmer and I'm a software engineer. I have a master's in computer science. Uh, I've been doing, you know, I've been doing that for about 15 years before starting Epsicon, both in like hands-on development positions and research and uh, managing engineering teams. Um, since I was at, since I'm at Epsicon, I'm the CEO, so I'm not doing uh, so much coding as I used to do, but I'm, I am still coding from time to time. Uh, but I have, I have a co-founder who is the CTO, so obviously he's the one to find you know to call the shots when it comes to technology and engineering. Mm. So what's your favorite language? Um, like when, when you were at the keyboard and locked in the basement somewhere, you know, what, what was your favorite language and, and why? I would say that I'm probably the most experience I have is with Python. I've been doing Python for at least seven or eight years in a row, uh, like a lot of it. Other than that, I am actually pretty experienced with the more low levels uh, programming languages like C, assembly, C++ and so on. And, and I also know like other languages. I mean, I don't th think it, like learning a new language today is rel relatively easy. Becoming an expert in it is not that easy, but uh, I'm trying to keep up, to be up to date. Yeah, it's, you know, I, I, I wasn't that good. I took a class called Data Structures back in university and um, that class was very challenging for me. So I, I knew immediately that you know, I wasn't going to be a coder or a programmer and I had to find another way. So that's that's why I've spent about 20 years o overall in you know, on the data protection and storage and backup and recovery side, which um, actually deemed to work out pretty well because everything now is, is just creating data like crazy. So uh, kind of on that front, what do you think is the next evolution beyond cloud and the rise of DevOps, like in, in the next few years, what, what are you seeing? What's on your radar? Yeah, it's, it's beyond cloud, but it's also on top of the cloud. I think, you know, it's the cloud is started as a way to not manage infrastructure, which is, you know, it's good. You don't have to worry about data centers, but as time goes, it provides you so much more than that. I mean, today you can already have so many services in the cloud, such as a database or storage or, you know, any API that you need. And then with the move to something like a serverless, for example, you don't even have to know 
where is what the server is. So I think the next wave is really to be able to focus as close as possible to 100% on the business application of the organization rather than what it runs on top of or what it uses. So the cloud is evolving very nicely to, you know, to do those things. So for example, if I'm building now a web application, I don't have to worry about, like let's say I want to choose Lambda functions, I don't have to worry about pretty much anything uh, besides my own code and how to architect my system. And it's really quick, you know, the time to market is almost the maximum it could be. And we're seeing also some kind of templates that allow you to spin up applications without even coding at first. So I think the progress is eventually being able to abstract more and more layers of the, the software lifecycle, have, have, have the company focus only what their core you know, IP and their core expertise is and let someone else do the rest. Just like you're not going to build your own computer, you're going to buy a computer for your developers. So th- th- does that kind of mean like more um, artificial intelligence or, or machine learning will be doing some of, some of those types of jobs? That, that's kind of what it sounds like. Is that right? Uh, yeah, definitely. That will play a significant part. I mean, first of all, in our space, in monitoring, that's already happening. I mean, if you are, uh, if you have a, a pretty standard solution, they will have some kind of a, a automated alerting system or anomaly detection, which is pretty commoditized. And you don't have to worry about manually setting things up. So that's one example. And you know, and actually, if you even if you are using uh, some kind of a machine learning approach, and that's really not your core IP, you just want a simple classifier, you can you, you can just use one of AWS or Azure. You don't need to to actually code it. Not to mention, you know, you can import the Python library and use it, but you don't even have to do that today. You can just use an API. So this is all happening. I mean, and people are using it all the time. So yeah, it's pretty cool. Okay, yeah, and you you just mentioned APIs, and I, I have one final question before we roll into the the closing gumbo question. So you you have I guess does your product allow you to do any customization like hooking into like uh, a RESTful API or anything like that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we basically allow the customer to send data and to read and read and write through an API of Epsilon. So if you want to export it or use the data in your own dashboards or just enrich the data, you can easily do that. Well, great. Um, let's let's um, roll into the closing gumbo question. And just just to warn you, it's it's um, it's not a technical question. It's it's more of a introspective personal question. But um, you you should be able to answer it though. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. So the question is, what would you tell your sixteen year old self? if you had an opportunity to travel back in time to secretly change your destiny? I wouldn't change anything per se. I mean, I would tell them that everything is going to work out (laughs) because it always does. So just don't need to worry about stuff. And yeah, but honestly, I don't have many regrets. I would pretty much do the same things. (laughs) All right. So you you had a a great 16-year-old 
teenagehood, I guess. Yeah, I did. Okay, well, I'm, I truly learned a lot about Epsigon and also some of the things that are happening just in that industry around troubleshooting and, and logging and, and metrics around the cloud and serverless and containers, etc. So I really do appreciate you taking time out of your day to come on Data Protection Gumbo. Thanks for coming on the show. All right. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Data Protection Gumbo. Please follow us on Twitter at DPG Podcast and join our Backup and Recovery Professionals LinkedIn group. Just search Backup and Recovery Professionals on LinkedIn and you will find the group. And until next time, Gumbo listeners, have a fantastic week.